You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. The bigger the lie becomes that you are taking up space. You you really are better off if you're not there. And there's also that idea that as you as you slip, if you think of like a dark well that you're in and there's um, you're looking up and it's a long climb up or there seems to be this door that you could just go through and and have some peace it also begins to look like a door that would be very simple to take and so i began plotting um a suicide attempt and um i remember assuring myself that this was the right thing i mean this this was the best thing for tim and um the, the irony of it is that on the day that I had planned it, Tim forgot something at home and came back. And I was in the middle of my attempt. And so um, that, was just, uh, that was just a moment, I think, that God, God really intervened. And um, so he walked in and took me to the hospital. Wow. And most people, when they hear of a suicide or somebody in their family is affected by suicide, the first question is why would they or how selfish mm-hmm. are they? Yes. But you had talked yourself into or something had talked you into mm-hmm. that it really wasn't selfish at all, right? Yes, that whole belief that it's selfish mm-hmm. is upside down. Well, Janita was dealing with intense loneliness and isolation even within her marriage. And I think one thing that COVID-19 has done is it's brought that problem to the surface. And I think all of us have dealt with seasons of loneliness, whether it be just health issues that you can't share with others or struggles with children or whatever it might be, sometimes we all feel alone. And that brings us to the question that we're asking this morning, and that is, God, if you care why have you left me alone? Or it could be flipped this way, God, you say you're with me, but are you really with me? And so this morning, I want to give you hope that Scripture gives us a definitive yes. God is with you, and nothing, nothing at all when you are a child of God can separate you from His love. So if you have with you today, your Bible, a phone, a tablet, one of those things. Please open, if you would, to Romans 8, beginning in verse 39, or 38, rather. Romans 8, 38. If you want to grab that Bible in the seat back in front of you, you'll find this passage on page 945. Romans 8, 38, and 39. And by the way, beginning on the 20th, we're going to start our next series in the life of Daniel that will carry us through the summer, and we're calling the series faithful. We're learning about a faithful God and a faithful man, and that should be exciting. It's a great, incredible narrative. And so here we are in Romans 8, 38, and 39, and the Apostle Paul is culminating in this section of Romans a long discussion regarding the believer's safety, certain salvation, and sanctification in the arms of Christ because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross. And we're going to learn that God's love can never be taken away from you once he offers it. And so let's begin in verse 38. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an amazing two verses that bring hope to the believer. And so after arguing throughout this chapter that the work of Christ is so powerful that we can have victory over sin and death, in verse 37, the verse before this package says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So Paul's argument is, we can be secure in that love. The power of God is more powerful than anything that we might face. And here's my first point to help you see that nothing can ever get in the way of God's love for you. And that is, God's love was conceived of in eternity past. God loved you before you were born. God loved you before anything else existed. And so it's not based on you. It's based on him. It's based on his character. It's based on his faithfulness. And because you didn't earn it, you can't unearn it. And God's love is pursuing you. And it's amazing and transformational. Earlier in Romans 8, here's what Paul had to say. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And what he's saying here is that God does all the work. It's God who justifies. And this term here, elect, in the original language, simply means chosen. Chosen by God to receive salvation through Jesus Christ. And so it is God who does that. It is God who justifies. God is doing all of that powerful transformation in your life. You didn't earn any of this. All of this happened before you were born. Really interesting passage pops up in Revelation 13, 8, and Luke writes this. It's really poignant to what we're talking about here. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. The it here is the beast, that satanic powerful creature that emerges in the end times. Everyone whose name has not been written, he's saying, will worship this thing before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now just stop for a moment. What Paul is saying is the Lamb's book of life, which in Scripture denotes a list of some sort of believers who have come to know Jesus, was written before the foundation of the world. And so his love for you is his choice. His love for you never ever will end. It never will change because God never changes. He will never forsake you because that's not in his character. 
You can't lose your salvation on a bad day because it was written before the foundation of the world. This is the kind of power that God's love brings to the table. Now listen, I know that loneliness is, is very difficult to grapple with. And so I'm not at all trying to explain it away. What I'm trying to say is that there is always someone there for you. And if you have repented of your sin, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you never have to doubt his extreme love for you. Because it's always there. There's not a thing, a person, an event, a circumstance, your actions, your thoughts that can tear you away from the arms of a loving father that has adopted you to be his child. And I don't know about you, but when somebody threatens my children, I hold on really tight. You're not going to tear them out of my arms. And that's the way you are with God, and that's wonderful. It's wonderful to know. So God loved you from eternity past. But here's the point now of, of Romans 8, 38 and 39. The extreme power of God is your help and shield. This is what makes the way for his love to be so everlasting. So look back again here at Romans 8, 38 and 39, and let's pick it apart a little bit. He begins with, for I am sure that neither death nor life. Paul is saying in either death or in life, God's presence is with you. You are never outside of his view. You're always there inside of his umbrella of love. I love this, this passage in Romans 14, 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That should bring hope. Because there's never a time when we're not with Christ, even in death. Paul continues now. Then, nor angels, nor rulers. Angels wouldn't. Demons couldn't tear you from God nor things present, nor things to come. Even in the extreme times of history, all the way back into eternity past, all the way forward into eternity future, there's nothing that can happen that will change God's love for you. That's what Paul's saying. Nor powers, again, the powers of darkness, nor height, nor depth. There's nothing overhead, there's nothing underneath, there's nothing that can come from the side that is going to change God's love for you. And so, this is so exciting. And Paul was grasping for a concept in Ephesians, and he wrote this, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that's an amazing promise. And you can almost just see Paul there either writing or, or, or talking to his secretary. And he's just, oh Lord, what kind of words can I come up with that describe your love? And, the, and it begins to flow. And it's this beautiful description of the love of God that is always with you. 
And then finally in 38 and 39, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing in the Lord's creation that will come along and change the fact that God is your God and that you are His child. And so what a wonderful way for Paul to wrap up this whole argument in Romans for the security of the believer in Christ by assuring us that his love for us is secure. It was planned before the beginning of time, so we don't have to worry about it being some random short-term event. It is our shield and protection in a world that is many times hostile to our faith. So now maybe you're saying to yourself, well, I, I get that from a, a theological perspective. Good job, you're some seminary-trained fellow. But here's the problem, Paul. I'm still lonely. And that is an issue. And so I want to talk a little bit about why God would allow you to continue in loneliness and what he might be up to. And so what about the practical presence of loneliness in our lives. Why does God allow it? Now, in order to grapple with that question, I want to remind you first that you're not alone in your loneliness. Many of the great men and women of the Bible have struggled with loneliness. I think of David first, and I bet he's the first name that came to your mind as well. David wrote in Psalm 25, 16, turn to me, and be gracious to me because I am lonely and afflicted. And David spent much of his life on the run by himself. He was lonely and afflicted. I think of Leah, who was the first wife of Jacob. Her sister was the second wife. And he loved her sister more than her. And that must have been incredibly lonely and, and dysfunctional and difficult. And then there was Elijah, the great prophet, who, who made a prophecy against Ahab, the king, that there would be a drought coming, and he had to run for his life. He lived in loneliness. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, he's called, because he was destitute and alone, because his prophecies, well, they brought things to people that they didn't want to hear. And then, of course, there's our Lord Jesus Christ, who at his hour of trial, was left alone. On the cross, he was alone. The Father had to look away from him because he was carrying our sin. So Jesus knows what it's like to be alone. And so, when you are lonely and there seems nowhere to go, remember that other believers have come before you and have struggled with the same issue and more importantly, remember that you can bring this to the throne of Christ and he will say, yes, I've been there. Yes, I understand. And his love will become even more attuned to you. So, here's the thing. All of this doesn't take loneliness away. And so, again, the question, well then, what's God up to in Loneliness. And so if you care, God, why do I struggle with loneliness? And what could you be up to in this? And why are you putting me through this? Well, let's talk about that just for a second. 
and we can come to some conclusions together. And I think this will help you as you go along this week. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but maybe it'll be something that will be good for you to, to hear. So first, remember that loneliness is a consequence of inherited sin. There was a time when there was no loneliness. There was a time when Adam and Eve had this perfect relationship in the garden. They were not hindered. It was beautiful. We don't know exactly what their relationship with God was like, but we can gather from Scripture that it was a personal relationship. In Genesis 3.8, God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. So you can take from that that there was a regular interaction between God and Adam and Eve in the garden. But then when the rebellion of sin took place, all of that just fell apart. That rebellion was so egregious that Adam and Eve turned on each other. God cursed them and Satan. And according to Genesis 3.23, they were finally tossed out of the garden. And for the first time in our lives, we were faced with hard work, deception, broken relationships, and loneliness. It's because of sin. And it'll be like this until the return of Christ. This is something we will all grapple with. Now, you're not lonely necessarily because you did anything wrong. Although sometimes that's a consequence of our own sin. But because of a sinful, broken world that we're all trying to make our way in. And by the way, that's a good reason to give people a lot of grace. Because we're all trying to grapple with this broken world that we live in. The second reason I believe the Lord allows for loneliness is that loneliness causes you to cling to God. Loneliness causes you to cling to God. Many times I think that loneliness is an invitation to come nearer to God. Elizabeth Elliot, many of you know about her, you've read her stuff. She was an acclaimed author an acclaimed speaker. She just died about six years ago or so. But back in 1956, she and her husband Jim were out on the mission field, and, and Jim was brutally murdered by those they were ministering to in Ecuador. And instead of packing it in, she stayed to minister to those very people that had killed her husband. And she knew deep loneliness. But when she came back, God used her in amazing ways for more than 50 years. But here's what she said about loneliness. Loneliness comes over us sometimes as a sudden tide. It is one of the terms of our humanness. And in a sense, therefore, incurable. Yet I have found peace in my loneliest times, not only through acceptance of the situation, but through making it an offering to God who can transfigure it into something for the good of others. So she saw loneliness as an invitation to come closer to God, an invitation to have God take this loneliness and use it to further the gospel in the life of others. And I believe that's one of God's purposes in loneliness. It is a result of sin, but it's also a call to cling to God. And he will never, ever forsake you. 
And that point is clear. But here's the danger, and here's what I don't want you to do. In loneliness, or that, that ache in our heart we feel sometimes, that we try to fill, it's easy to go places where you shouldn't go to try to fill it. And what God is doing is He's standing there saying, will you please come to me? I'm here, I'm waiting. And, and you can't depend on people to solve your loneliness because they will disappoint you. You can't depend on a new toy that will distract you from your loneliness because then you'll have to buy another toy when that one wears out, another toy and another toy, and then you'll be having a big garage sale. You can't just go to endless social media activity and expect it to be real relationship because it's not. Don't, don't turn to alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, all of that stuff that numbs the pain for a little while. And here's another mistake people make is, well, if I change my circumstances, I'll feel better. Let me tell you a truth. You can change spouses, jobs, locations, churches, circumstances, but you're going to have to bring you with you. And the work needs to be done inside of here. And what God is calling you to do is, hey, I know your heart is aching. I know you're alone. I know you feel like nobody cares about you, but come to me because I care. And my love for you is forever. And he's, and he's inviting. Elizabeth Elliot got that. God is inviting. And loneliness is a part of the human experience, but the, the spiritual part of the equation can't be denied. And so here's, here's a point that I think is really important. Your hope within loneliness is God's love manifested on the cross. This is really where our hope is. It was on the cross that Jesus gave us a resolution to loneliness. He made a way for us never to be separated from him again. And that moment that Jesus went to the cross changed everything. Until then, believers had to make sacrifices and go to the temple over and over and over and over again. But at that moment, the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the sinless one, went to the cross and gave of himself so that we could walk into the arms of God and be reconciled with God and be loved forever and ever and ever so loneliness was resolved on the cross. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 tells us this. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So this is about peace with God. It's about endless love. It's about the kind of reckless love. Not reckless in the sense where God doesn't know what he's doing and he's just throwing stuff out there. It's this pursuit that will run over anything to get to you that the cross ensures. And when you simply believe in him, you will never be without God. So let me just recap for you so you get this. And maybe tomorrow as your real life starts, you'll have a sense of peace about this. The question of the day is, God, if you care, why 
have you left me alone? Because loneliness is a real thing. It's painful. It's part of the human condition. It's something that we have to grapple with in our world. And I, know, I understand loneliness. When, when my wife died, when, when my son was killed, deep bouts of loneliness, despair. And it's something when you're going through that kind of thing that you can only carry yourself. I mean, Wendy has commonality in that. But it's really my journey. And so it can still be overwhelming. And every time I feel overwhelmed, it's always God saying, come here. Come on. Don't go over there. I'm here. I'll fulfill you. I'll help you. And so loneliness is something that that God can use in, in a real way. And remember that he has chosen to love you. Loneliness wasn't here in the beginning. That wasn't God's plan. But sin wrecked everything. But now there's a way because Jesus went to the cross and gave himself on the cross. So through belief in him and asking him to be the Lord of your life, you will become a child of God and will be loved forever. And then you will know that you can never ever be separated from God. And it's important that we understand this. And so, let's go back to where we started this morning. And now we know what this all means. Let's read it again. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Such good news. So when loneliness strikes, remember, the Bible clearly teaches that you're never alone. You're loved eternally. You'll never ever be separated from the love of God. And so let's go to the Lord's table together and let's celebrate this amazing truth. When you came in today, you should have received one of these communion kits. This is a result of COVID and uh, we're living with this for now. I almost, well, it's fine because it's a symbol. And what we're doing is we are remembering And so if you didn't get one of these, hop up and grab one. Raise your hand, they'll bring one to you. What we're remembering is the time that Jesus was alone. When he was voluntarily alone. Because when he embraced the cross, he knew that his men would desert him. He knew that his father would look away from him. And as I've stood in the Garden of Gethsemane, I've often looked at the old city just through the Kidron Valley up the hill and I could close my eyes and I could almost hear what Jesus must have heard. The clamoring of soldiers, swords, and shields and looking up and seeing the lanterns coming down that hill to arrest him and to put him to his hour of trial. And he didn't run. He embraced the cross, though everyone deserted him. And so today we celebrate his aloneness that led to our being loved for all of eternity. And so as he gathered his disciples, he said, this is my bread 
which is broken for you. When you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. So let's do this in honor of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he took the Passover cup and he said, this is my blood, which is a new covenant. And at that moment when his blood flowed and he died, there was no longer a need for sacrifice. There was no longer a need for a priest because now we have unhindered access to the throne of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what opened the door for his love. This is what makes it secure. This is how we know it will never change. And so let's drink in remembrance of what he did for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for doing the unthinkable. Voluntarily leaving the side of your Father, submitting yourself to earthly authorities. And though you were sinless, giving yourself wholly to the cross so that we might be redeemed, paying for our sin, opening the door for eternal love. So God, we celebrate that. We honor you. And we will never forget the sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf. And as we sing now, we will worship with all of our hearts, enveloped in the joy of what has happened and the love you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.